Welcome to Real Everyday People, an Eladio Nino podcast. You either die the hero or see yourself become the villain. See too many dark nights and light the way you're living. They got me living. Hey, what's up, everybody? How you doing? This is El Nino podcast. I'm Eladio Nino, and this is Real Everyday People. I want to thank everybody for tuning in, everybody that's been sharing, subscribing. I really appreciate it. Sharing with all your family and friends, like, it's really making a difference. I'm really seeing the growth in the past couple of weeks, so thank you for all the support. I appreciate it, and please continue on because uh, I'm not putting any barriers on myself, and I just want to get and, and reach, reach, reach my fullest potential, and uh, we can get there together. So uh, tonight, you know, I got a good, you know, another another brother from another mother that I've met along my journey. Um, you know, this is a brother I've been able to build with. You know, we've contributed to each other's lives. Uh, we've been in the mud together, and we also became light in the dark. And uh, this is my brother, Rick Speck. What's up, brother? Yeah. How you doing, brother? Oh, man, I'm good, man. I'm, I'm blessed. I feel grateful every day, you know. Uh, past couple months, I've been working out in the gym, so I start my day out Monday through Friday with that. And it's just, uh, you know, just managing everything. You know, I tell people all the time, it's one thing to obtain things, but then it's another to maintain everything. Mm -hmm. So, you know, number one is mind, body, spirit, man. With all that, you know, everything else comes to us, man. But uh, tell the people a little bit about yourself, man. Where you from? And right. how you doing, Rick Speck? Um, I'm from the east side of Detroit to, to a young age, and then uh, from there, my mother got remarried, and we moved to East Point, what's what's called East Point now, which is like the other side of Eight miles. So, you know, as a, a Latino and, and white kid that was mixed, that grew up in a all black neighborhood initially, then okay. moved to an all white neighborhood. You know, it was, it was a mm -hmm. bit of a co culture shock, right? And, um, you know, my parents being divorced, my mom being remarried, all these different things kind of mm -hmm. uh, contributed to a lot of the issues I had uh, as a youth, a lot of anger issues that were unresolved. Um, mm -hmm. I think I kind of had that chip on my shoulder coming from the city. Um, so was your father absent? No, no, I see my dad, you know, every weekend, mm -hmm. um, okay. probably 50 weekends out of the year, realistically, okay. but... At the same time, you know, I had siblings as I got older that had a father in the house, right? Okay. And, you know, he was a good man, but he wasn't my dad, right? Okay. We didn't connect in, in the way my father and I did and, and share uh, same interests. So it was just, there was a disconnect there. Okay. You know, even though I was a, a part of a larger family, the oldest of four still felt kind of alone. So you said you're Latino. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what's your nationality? Uh, Mexican. My okay. mom. My mom is Mexican. Okay. And, uh, All right. My dad is German. Okay. That's a. It's a little mix, right? Yeah. I. You know. I met some brothers, some Mexican brothers in the joint, and their last name were Muth, M-U-T-H. And I said, "How'd you come up with a name like that?" You know what I'm saying? And they look just like straight Mexicans. And they said, "Well, my grandfather was German." I said, "Oh man, Mama was sleeping with the milkman, golly, you know." Yeah, caramel uh, So the funny thing is, my last name literally in German translates to bacon. <laughs> speck, huh? Speck, okay. speck. They say in German it's speck, right? So I'm not calling you speck no more. It's all speck from here. Speck from here. Rick Speck, everybody. <laughs> That's right. And and it was funny because I didn't know that until till I was older, and it seemed mm. like everybody else in the family knew. So it was like a a fun fact, right? Um, yeah. But. For me, I think that was where a lot of uh, the issues as a youth uh, arose for me was, you know, not feeling um, a part of that family nucleus. Um, okay. 
right? And so that just created uh, some anger issues and didn't know how to communicate that other than to fight. Mm-hmm. And, and so that just, you know, led to, you know, not knowing how to manage my emotions at the end of the day as I got older, right? And so mm-hmm. began to wonder uh, as a kid, like, why, what, what was wrong with me type thing. Uh, mm-hmm. couldn't, couldn't quite understand it. Who taught, much you, older. Who, who taught you about fighting? Like, when do you remember, like, what is your recollection of the first time you ever seen violence or, you know, in, in any form? You know what I mean? I think it was just like the schoolyard. Um, you know, I, I've been blessed in a sense that um, although I've experienced dysfunction as a family, not uh, that form of dysfunction, more uh, with alcohol uh, abuse and, and stuff like that, but mm-hmm. never never that. So for me, it was it was mainly just the schoolyard and you know, just scrapping, you know, as yeah. a kid, you you just out there scrapping, trying to make it. Now, what did, were there any challenges or obstacles? You said you lived on the east side, you went to an all black school, then you transferred to an all white school. Like what challenges or obstacles did you have to go through with that? You know, because I'm assuming there wasn't too many of your peers around, right. you know what I'm saying? As far as you nationality wise. Right. Like there was uh that I remember there was only one other Latino family and they were Venezuelan. Um, I'm oh, still okay. good friends with her. I actually talked with her uh, last night. My wife and I did. Okay. But it was like we were the only two Latino families in like the whole city, it seemed like. Wow. At least in school, right? Yeah. And so, again, you're, you're coming from a predominantly all-black neighborhood to now a predominantly all-white neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And so it was a, a period of adjustment. And um, I guess I just didn't, I, I didn't do so well, right? How were you able to like... Because I I I, um, I lived in, in in similar circumstances and situations where I've always lived in I, I always had diverse social skills communication mm-hmm. skills because I've lived in so many different communities you know around different nationalities and things like that and I really think that it enhanced me in mm-hmm. my lifetime because you know I was able to speak everybody's language I was able to get along with people and things like that but you know for me. You know, being that I was Mexican, like when I was younger, I was going through like an identity crisis because, you know, even though I acknowledge everybody, respect everybody, I needed something to identify with myself, you know, with my culture. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Like even people today are, are proud to say they're Mexican, but can't really identify with what Mexican means, you know, what defines it or, you know, I the just. culture. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, for me, really, I learned more about our culture as a people mm-hmm. when I was incarcerated than I did when I was free. And so when you talk about identity, for me, you know, I struggled with the same thing. And uh, in the neighborhood where, where we moved, you know, there was a lot of Italians. Okay. So, you know, you're, you're dating different girls as you get older and, and okay. you got the olive skin and, you know, if they want to believe you're Italian and that's easier to date that girl, then, you know, you just kind of rolled with it. You know what I mean? Oh, like, yeah. I dated you're the like Middle Hello, Eastern you know? girl. You know, my stepfather is Syrian. So, again, when you talk about diversity, my stepdad's Syrian. My okay. mom's Mexican. My father's German. And I see all that in you right now, bro. <laughs> you know what I mean? got so it all going I, on. I, I grew up in a um, Greek Orthodox church. Okay. Right, which was which is very similar to Catholicism, mm-hmm. but dates are very different. Christmas and Easter are a week uh, celebrated a week apart compared oh, wow. to right. So I it was learned something. Yeah, it, it was different, um, mm-hmm. but kind of the same. Mm-hmm. Um, so having uh, diversity though in that culture, the food, kibbe, grape leaves, all this different culture. So um, mm-hmm. again, being exposed to and even in that neighborhood, I I grew up with some really good friends, uh, mm-hmm. kids that were Polish. 
Italian, so oh, you know the so food, cool. right? Like yes, yes. you're eating that food, um, duck blood soup, kibasa, wow. and crowd, like all this different. That's so cool. So I, for me, food like is mm. something that brings folks together, right? Brings Absolutely. brings us together and helps us learn about other cultures. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> you know, and and the Afro culture has had a great deal of influence um, on on our food and and music. So I mean, it's. Mm -hmm. It's enlightening, you know, and as mm -hmm. a youth, I think the part that got that, that was difficult for me, too, was, mm -hmm. you know, when you go to this all-white neighborhood, there's, there's a lot of these racially charged jokes, you know, they're jokes, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And as a kid, you're, you're trying to fit in and just not really rock the boat, but you're, you're, you're kind of understanding that these jokes mm -hmm. aren't all that funny. And, yeah, they're about Polish folks, too, but, yeah. you know, when, <clears throat> when you start talking about the brown and the black, like later on as you get older you realize that's what helps shape that hateful thought process right yes. so i was i was grateful that i was exposed to diversity and had friends of all different hues yes. and, yep. and didn't fall all the way into that trap right mm -hmm. um so that was good yeah because a lot of people doing it's really unfortunate because they create a barrier where they they can't see past you know that one experience or that one opinion because like sometimes you can have a person can have one bad experience with a mexican and all of a sudden you know any and every mexican, every mexican. that they see yeah. you know got to pay for it, it you know what it, i mean and, vice versa, and, right? and and you know prison as well was a breeding ground for racism as well you know especially like when you went to prisons up north where predominantly you know everybody that's in control of things are are, are white you know what mm -hmm. i'm saying they're yeah. white people and then um you know it's just you, you, you know the lines had the white line you had the black line and and you know we were walking up and i was half joking i was like well, where the brown people go like where, where's that yeah. line at like around back or what, what's mm -hmm. going on you know and but it is true mm -hmm. uh and it was funny though because you know the latinos they could sit on either side which is yeah it was like yep. you know absolutely we got along with everybody in that respect mm -hmm. and and that 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 also made us an asset because you know a prison prison is a is a world of its own it's got its own politics its rules of engagement mm -hmm. all those types all its of own things. social norms yeah. every, everything its own culture uh which is counter to this culture right mm -hmm. um, but it's the norm that's that's how we live that's how we survive yeah absolutely by those rules you know mm -hmm. so um tell us a little bit about like middle school high school so for me, like sports was the, the thing that kept me always, you know, right on that kind of borderline, had to keep good grades because you wanted to play sports. Mm -hmm. But it was like when I got older and, and started to discover girls and drinking and <laughs> we and, you know, eventually for me, the downfall was sports played less of a role, became less important. And mm -hmm. so more of my time started going towards negative stuff versus the positive and by negative i, I mean just um partying all the time right mm -hmm. in, in my high school years which led to my first felony um in a blackout like wow. they came to, to our my mom's house uh, to arrest me it was like mm -hmm. 6 30 in the morning i just got home at probably four i was in a blackout i don't remember breaking into these businesses like they were there right mm -hmm. i had no clue I mean, mm -hmm. that's a scary thought. You know, you're mm -hmm. like, what did I do? Were you drunk? Were you oh, yeah, high? I was drunk. I mean, yeah, yeah, I was okay. just, you know, we had drank uh, a bunch of cheap beer and Southern Comfort, right? Mm -hmm. And that Southern Comfort just put me in a blackout. 
and so consequently I, I i don't remember that night you know, mm -hmm. now i have bits and pieces um mm -hmm. but again that was like trauma a lot of the pain stuff that i had experienced who, as who, a youth who influenced you to go down a negative pathway like because you were doing good you're going to school like and then it sometimes takes that one person that you think is cool or you know you you, you bond with and then all of a sudden you're trying weed and now you're drinking and then you're now you're skipping school and you know because I mean, it's a process it I, mean, I, had, I had like a best friend that you know, we, we both experienced a lot of the same things in relation to our parents being divorced, uh, substance mm -hmm. abuse issues in the family. So, you know, we kind of gravitated towards each other as friends. And when mm -hmm. we, we got in, consequently, we got into a lot of trouble with each other and we would get grounded <laughs> from each other. <laughs> right? Like, you could go somewhere, you just can't go with him. Mm -hmm. And so, wow. um, consequently, that was the person that I... You know, caught my first felony with too was he he was a part of that. So it wasn't that he influenced me. I would say, you know, we influenced each other. Mm -hmm. um, we didn't necessarily have a family dynamic that we both wanted. So you know, we we found each other as as family. Okay. You know what I mean? All like right. we were brothers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So after you got yourself into some trouble, what happened after that? Did you end up getting locked up or? So you know, I got arrested that day. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was bailed out a few days later. Uh, my mom obtained the attorney for me, mm -hmm. bailed me out, but also had everything I own packed and mm -hmm. told me, you know, you got three other siblings, you know, you got two brothers and a sister. And, you know, we didn't fight hard to get out of the out of the hood mm -hmm. to get to here to have our house raided because of you. Yeah, so I, yeah. I had to go. Right. And mm -hmm. um, I was a senior. It was in like high the school. movie and blow. When she's like, you got to get out of here, George. They're coming here for you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, and it took years for me to understand why she did that. She did that for the sake of my, my brothers and sister because of the path I was on. You know, I was selling mm -hmm. weed, partying, doing my thing. She didn't want that to become acid. contagious. Right. Like, that's not acceptable. Mm -hmm. Right. Um. You know, my, my mom uh, was a bookie. You know, she ran numbers. You know, that she could rationalize away. That, that's okay. acceptable. Right? Okay. So when you when you want to say, where did my influence come? I hate to put it on my mom. Mm -hmm. But let's just call it like it is, right? I was, my first raid. You got to, bro. The first raid I was in, I was with my mom at a gambling spot that she catered. Right? <laughs> like that, was, that was my mom's side. Up there. Right? It's real like everyday my people. My mom catered, right? Yeah. And, and so I would go and help her cater and I'd do other stuff around there. And, you know, they'd be like, hey, kid, go get me a beer. And, you know, then I come, they give me a, you know, you're, you're a hustler. You're 15, 16, 17. You're a hustler. I know it. I right? know so, it. Yeah, I was 17. First time I got raided was, you know, at a after hour spot right there at um, Topher and Gratiot. Okay. Right there, you know, just uh, off. So eight and a half mile, basically. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so I'll laugh and I'll say things like that to my mom. She's like, you know, I'll laugh. You know, the biggest gangster in the family is her. And she, why would you say? I'm like, <laughs> what do you mean? Like, I know I'll be telling old stories about my mom. You know what I'm saying? She's like, I mean, hold on, be talking. Ah, you want to act like you're a nun now? Before you had all the bows, you was like, in, in a ray with all the cubanos, everything. Now you want to talk? Oh, me, hold on, you know. I'm before. <laughs> yeah, okay then. Right. It's all so good. for me, I, I mean, I, I left home that day, mm -hmm. um, and I ain't been back. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that kind of helped choose the path. Um, 
you know, that I walked, right? And mm -hmm. after that, it was about survival. I mean, mm -hmm. I remember staying in a shelter because I was too embarrassed to ask for, you know, to, to start that whole couch surfing thing, right? Um, what was that like, bro? Like, you know, everybody hasn't been through that, you know what I mean? Like, one time I stayed in a battered women's shelter with my mother when I was young, me and my brothers and my mother, and that was a, a horrible experience, you know what I'm saying? But as an adult, though, you know, to have to go through that, like, yeah, what is 17. that like? So, wow, you were you know, 17 Just turning going 18, through going through okay. that. Um, I just got busted for that. So I just turned 18. And my mom would come meet me in the morning, mm -hmm. make sure I had breakfast, right? And then I was on, I was on my own for the day. You know, I had to make whatever happened. And that <laughs> went on for a couple of days. But then, you know, it was like, you, you got to figure this out. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so again, I did what I could. You know, I picked up the bag and... Mm -hmm. And started hustling and, you know, rented a room and a room went to a house and a house turned to a spot. And, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, it is what it yeah. is. I mean, that. You really lived that trap. I mean, that life was, for sure. You, you, I was 17, you know, mm -hmm. turning 18, living in my own house, making my own mm -hmm. plans. Like, I, I grew I, up I had, fast, I had bro. myself and a mattress and a bedroom and like a couch. And I remember thinking, okay, this is. This is something, right? Yeah, like it's yeah, a start. Yeah, you know? and, yes, absolutely, um, man. I had, you know, friends in high school that's you know would help me out, brought me stuff, and you know, next thing you know, uh, I had a house, mm -hmm. a roof over my head. Yeah, uh, and but, you, you were know, grateful I, just for that, just to right? have your own personal right. space. You know? It was like, you know, I got probation for that, three years probation, one year on a tether. Um, the problem was. The slap on the wrist because I had the paid attorney. I did it on bond. Mm -hmm. You know, I just didn't stop. It was like you feel like big shit now. You well, know, you I mean, know, I, I could beat I a case. What I started to understand was, and seeing some of my mom's friends, if you had a paid attorney and you had bread, you'd be all right. So that's when mm -hmm. the first thought was, you got to have attorney money. Mm -hmm. If you're gonna be in this game, you got to have attorney money, mm -hmm. right? And um, so I continued to party. Like, you would think that that would be what turned it around. But, you know, my plan was to go into the Navy uh, right out of high school and go mm -hmm. see the world. I had a cousin, uh, Ruben Valdez, you know, uh, from Southwest. Okay. You know, that that was how he, he got out, right? He he went into the Navy, made a career out of it, great living, seeing the whole world. Wow. Um, it would send me all this cool Navy, you know, I got a flight suit. And he Dang, was on the USS Dwight D. Eisenhower's aircraft carrier, mm -hmm. right? And, um... So it was like, you know, I got infatuated. Like, this was my big cousin, and he's seeing the world. And I'm thinking, okay, this is, this is I'm going to get the hell out of here. Dope, right? sharing his journey with you like that. You Influencing know? me, right? Like, later, I didn't know. He's, like, planting seeds, mm -hmm. you know. And um, when I got in trouble, though, I wanted that HIDA, Homes Useful Training Act, mm -hmm. where if I did the probation and did everything, then it would just come off my record, and I would have been able to go back, you know, into the military because I was in the – like I said, the delayed entry program. Mm -hmm. And um, when the judge wouldn't do that, that also kind of pushed me to continue just to do more crime. I felt like, well, this is what this is what it is now. Mm -hmm. You know, I got no choice. My yeah. choice was, I'm going to go into the service and get out of this dysfunction. And, mm -hmm. You know. And I know so many stories of people who were on the verge of just making a decision, either going to the military or going to, you know, some other path or going to the streets. You know what I mean? And it was just like one day they made that decision and said, 
this is what I'm going to do. And I remember the day I decided what gang I was going to be in and, you know, everything. You know, mm -hmm. I had already foresaw my own, right. foreseen my own um, future. You know, I was already committed to that. But, you know, I easily could have done something different. But now, you know, here I am at 42 years old. And now my life makes sense. Everything that I've been through, uh, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly, the trials, the errors, you know what I mean? The betrayal, the lies, the cheating, the stealing, the all, everything, everything. that comes with it, bro. You know, going through it and, and, and it just taught me, it gave me tools, bro. It gave me understanding of self, understanding of nature, understanding of people, you know, understanding of God, you know, and... um it just it just it really it created a whole new world for me bro and um and i've been really um just thriving off of everything that i learned through from from the mud that we went through bro you know and it just feels really good it's very rewarding to be able to wake up daily with gratitude in my heart bro you know if nothing for nothing else just to be alive to have breath to live again and to be able to contribute to somebody's well-being you know to be that productive person, right? Absolutely. Like, I always knew I wanted more to be more to do more. Mm -hmm. I just didn't know how I was going to get there. You know, my plan was the Navy. And when that, I didn't have a beat. Mm -hmm. that, that was it. And so that, that also taught me something later. You know, have a plan A, B, C, and D. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, yes. all roads don't end at one, one, one destination. You take a lot of different roads to get to one place. Mm -hmm. So for me, that, that was that was a big turning point to where I just continued to go and, and, you know, eventually I got violated, was sentenced to four to 10 years. Okay. Um, at the, the same time, in the state to the state. Okay. Right? At the same time, um, I was being charged with another felony, a bank fraud case. And while I was away, I got indicted. So I got con wow. called to control center. think I'm getting a ticket. <laughs> right and the guy the, the captain's like yo sit down da, 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 that will be with you in a minute 15 minutes later these two dudes walk through this steel gate and they look on a clipboard they look at me you know they ask me my name i see mm -hmm. richard speck they said you know u.s marshals get against the wall you're under wow arrest. and I'm, I'm i'm in control center at cooper street <laughs> oh. i mean not cooper street at uh charles egler okay. when it was a joint before it was quarantine oh okay right i just come from uh up north that was so that was before it was quarantine right yeah okay. when, it, when it was just a uh, level two all right so they come they get you you no, already know I, what time it is yeah i know i mean now i know right yeah. I, I got the one what, what is bank fraud well in this case um oh, you know shit. this is the early <laughs> 90s right okay and so people start to remember atms really were starting to pop that wasn't okay. like today everyone uses an atm everyone's using a card mm -hmm. but back then it wasn't like that right this mm -hmm. was this new technology a new method of banking but there's also loopholes and gaps in new things mm -hmm. and so the thing is is when you had an atm certain banks you could deposit a check okay. and that check would be money like right now okay. it was good so if i put a eight thousand dollar check in there eight thousand dollars is available so if you go into banks with bogue id and you you set up these accounts well you can also deposit through the ATM. So you're just depositing checks each night, mm -hmm. starting on a Thursday. This is not a good thing to explain to the whole <laughs> yeah, But yeah. this is how it worked then. You won't okay. get away with it today, and we didn't then. <laughs> um, right? Because somebody eventually told. But, so you would deposit these checks, and then you would start withdrawing on that Monday, and you had about three days. And okay. so the key was, because you were taking out seven, 8,000 at a time, you would go to the, you wouldn't go to the teller where all the cameras are, you go to the loan mm -hmm. officer. 
and tell them you're not comfortable doing this large transaction at the window, would they do it? Mm -hmm. Of course, here's your ID, here's the number, and away you go. So then you just milk them for the money, you know, and after three days, you just, you know, you're done. You don't okay. go back. So okay, that well. was that was the bank fraud. Um, All right. So you pretty much robbed a bank without a gun and... With a pen and paper, for real, <laughs> right? And, and, wow. and a piece of plastic. Damn. And, and now, you know, banking laws have changed, and that's the reason why, you know, you put the check in now, and it has to actually clear before they give you access. What did you do with because, the money? I mean, I was a kid. We were partying, you know. I, mean, <laughs> I remember buying this, like, uh, matching gold and pearl inlaid cigarette case and lighter, like... You know, you're in that life. You, it's just extra money. Right? Yeah, for if, sure. if you're on these streets. and mm -hmm. um, So, yeah, I basically pissed it away. Okay. At, at the end of the day, like you do with most money uh, when you're young. Yeah, for sure. Right? So how much time did you end up doing for that? Where... So that was, I, I got one to five from the state okay. because of a bank in Gross Point. But when you added up all of them, mm -hmm. because it was multiple, then that's where it became uh, federal. Okay. So they actually ran the federal time concurrent with the one to five. You okay. know, because at the time I was in college, back then they still had school. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, I enrolled oh, in Is school. that where you learned your tricks of trade? Well, actually, I was going you to learn be too a, good. A, a, a paralegal, right? Yeah. I kind of figured this, I might have to learn a little bit of this law at some point. Yeah. And uh, so I started to go to school to be a paralegal because <laughs> I figured I'm going to be a criminal. Maybe I should learn the law. And, um, you know, so I got a concurrent. and But again, I didn't learn my lesson. You know, I got out. Um, there are no resources like there are today. There weren't programs. There weren't mentors. There weren't coaches. You know, there was no training centers for with money for us. So I got out and did, you know, what I could. If right? those started, resources were there, do you think you would have did something different? Or did you come out already like, by all means necessary, I'm about to go out here, I'm going to get it? Or no, when I came like, home, when I came home uh, that time, mm -hmm. I came home, was working two jobs. I mean, I was mm -hmm. really, I, you know, I had had a child just before I got locked up, so... You know, I wanted to be a dad, and, and so I tried to do it the right way. Mm -hmm. um, eventually, I ran into a dude at a party store that I used to move, you know, some weight with, and mm -hmm. he invited me out for some drinks, and I think within two weeks, I quit my job, and, you know, I was back in the streets. You was full-time grinding was back it. on the block. I just, I, you know, I had a good job. I had learned to trade, or I was learning to trade as a painter, and um you know i just remember did you be did you do you think you became a better criminal in prison hearing other people's stories and how they got caught and how they get that away was my post-secondary education <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. so i mean what i got busted for the last time and served 15 years flat for was something that transpired between me and my bunkie in the fed joint because mm -hmm. eventually Mm. You had so a double whammy. Yeah, 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 it was, yeah it was, two tellers on you. <laughs> it, was, it was a nightmare. And yeah. so I remember I only had an 18-month parole, mm -hmm. and I finished the parole, and I automatically violated my federal mm. probation. I'm like I knew this was going to happen because I was under the old law, and if you violate and go back, when you come out, you're done. Wow. No paper. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm living in the streets, right? Like I'm, I'm out here in the streets. I'm grinding. I'm not gonna make it three years on paper. 
Like I, I violated twice in the 18 months. Wow. And, and it was Dang. right. Yeah. Like, so I'm but like, you're young though. You're still younger. But trying to, am I, so in, in the rational, the rationale was I'll just violate, go back for six months, you know, what big yeah. deal, right? Like in your I'd mind, rather do that to get it off my back. Exactly. You know and, I mean? and, and when you think about it later, you're like, how do you just voluntarily give up yourself mm-hmm. to servitude? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Later you realize it, but at the time it seemed like a good plan. So I get violated. I go back for 11 months. Um, and my bunkie and I, you know, we're building. He's a bookie. <laughs> He's in for tax evasion on a few million. We're, we're building, talking about, you know, different things throughout our past. He's stuff older and than things me. And things and stuff. Right. And he starts talking about, you know, uh, dressing up as ATF agents and going to this spot down south and robbing this bookie and a couple hundred thousand and da 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 da. So uh, we don't end up doing it, but later on, you know, weed dries up, can't get no weed, people are being tight with it. So mm-hmm. that thought pops in my head. And, you know, we just made up DEA outfits. And then wow. we went and hit some stash houses dressed as DEA agents. Damn. And um, he was full throttle. When late, later down the game, obviously, I got caught at one of those uh, situations. And uh, I was sentenced to 15 to 24 years for that. In the state? In the state. Okay. All and right. I still had the thought that the feds could come charge me for impersonating a federal agent. Yeah. So that was wow. That was scary. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm thinking, man, no, yeah, for I might sure. never get out. You know, at first, and um, but they never charged me, so I was blessed in that way. Yeah, no doubt about it, man. Because things could, you know, definitely. Been I could a lot still be there. Your story could be different. Yeah, yeah I could sure. still be there. Like real talk, I've only been home coming up on seven years now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, it looks like them seven been working for you, man. Yeah, seven years been good to me. <laughs> right? It was it was uh, uh, a lot of struggle, but a lot of strength. Yeah. came from that struggle mm-hmm. um you know my family this this last time around really supported me uh in ways that enabled me to go to school to get an education after uh, your release you after my release right? Okay. Uh, right my brother let me live at his house for a year he said i'll give you a year for free here uh in gross point so a nice neighborhood mm-hmm. nice home yes um you know not having to pay bills for a year that's huge mm-hmm. as, as you know right when you come home and <clears throat> You don't have all that pressure as as some folks do. Yeah, yeah. You know that that allowed me to become. That allowed me to start to invest in myself and not be pressured to. I gotta go get a job. Because one of your most important things is having a secure place to lay your head with Mm -hmm. people you can trust, who have your best interests at heart. You know, and everybody doesn't have that Mm -hmm. privilege. You know, you you got guys in there that can't even get out because they don't have an address. They can't even provide an address to get home. And then you look at commercial placement. I you know, later worked with folks coming home, and when I would go into those commercial placements, it's it's like the joint. The whole feel, the whole vibe was like you're still incarcerated. Mm -hmm. You just. Like you get a little gate pass, like you mm-hmm. get to go out for a few hours and you come back to the joint. Like that's how it felt. That's terrible. No, I mean that's how we welcome people home, and then mm-hmm. we want everybody to to reacclimate to society and you know be productive. But we don't bring people home in a way that allows that. 
Yeah, because um, I heard that a lot of at a lot of um, them places, like guys have relapsed as soon as they got there. Like every, and then the location of these places are right in the middle of the hood, where you could bend any corner and go cop any drug you want. You know what I'm saying? So that's really not helpful. You know, if somebody's and, struggling with substance abuse and their person in their room that they're sharing a room with is banging dope, I mean, what 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 are the chances of their success at the end of the day? Right. You know, you know, things like that kind of make me want to applaud myself and brothers just like us because we were we, we've been up against the same challenges. You know what I'm saying? We easily could have continued that 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 type of thinking, that type of behavior. But, you know, you have to be mentally prepared prior to getting out and know what you want and what you don't want. You know what I mean? Like a lot of people say, well, I'm gonna wait till I get there before I start working on myself. I'm like, man, if you can't do it in here, it ain't no way you're going to be able to do it you out there. You can't get up in the morning here for a job, in prison. You ain't getting up out there. If you're sleeping till 12, 1, 2, mm -hmm. all day long because you're up all, unless you just want to work midnights forever and let the world <laughs> pass you by. I mean, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But you're right. If the habits, uh, the last time I was incarcerated, the positive habits I developed are also what helped me when I transitioned home. Because right? mm -hmm. it was different coming home this time versus the other type two times mm -hmm. you know so what is it that like um what what main transition did you go through in prison you know what i mean like if you you, you had to do a 15-year bid mm -hmm. so like you know for me it was like the first 12 years i lived like an animal you know what i'm saying savage i you know bloodthirsty all that good stuff but after like the 12th year you know what I'm saying? That's when I started fighting with my demons. That's where I reached a point where I wanted to right my wrongs. You know, I, like I started to become human again, bro. I started to care about things, you know? Like that was the first thing I had to let go when I came to prison is everything. I had to not give a fuck about nothing, you know, because that's the only way I was going to be able to survive in here mentally, emotionally, spiritually, you know what I mean? And um, because that was one of people's biggest barriers and challenges. They were trying to hold on to everything that was in the world, you know what I'm saying, while trying to do their time and it caused them so much distress you know but after them 12 years it was like man because it's a cold environment bro you got to think we grew up around nothing but concrete walls bricks everything steel. was dark steel wires fences guards you know it's such an aggressive environment you know what i mean devoid of a lot of color mm -hmm. you know um, yes yes you know, pleasant sounds all this music we listen to tonight right yes. like that smells tastes all that Right, like we were, we were in an institution. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what they say. Why, when they say people are institutionalized, it's because we were in an institution, a criminal institution. Absolutely, yeah, for right? sure, bro. And when I came home, bro, all of my senses were enhanced: smell, sight, just because colors, flowers, trees smelling everything like bro it was such a blessing i was like wow like you know like that just shows you the impact of living in that kind of environment what it does i remember you, the first time being out after midnight outside and being like you know we could never stay out that late no you know what i mean y'all no, no. no. you know what i mean 10 o'clock count man baby that's a wrap no, i don't care where you at that's you it better be on like, your ain't no movement unless you're going to a job like a good and i didn't work midnights that wasn't my thing right so mm -hmm. i just remember being outside and, and my brother had this big porch with a swing on it and i would fall asleep on that porch and just i mean just enjoying like you said the air was just cleaner crisper 
the grass was really greener on the other oh, side, for bro. Real, for real, mm -hmm. wasn't it? Yes, for sure, bro. So by the time you and I had met each other, we were all we had already made a lot of them transition. You know what I'm saying? And I talk a lot about straddling the fence because that was where I learned the most. You know, that's where I I chose a side. I I decided I realized that I needed to choose a side because straddling the fence wasn't working for me, bro. I was doing all this positive stuff. I was facilitating all these classes and then here I am after that after class going to the yard making sales and distributing knives and putting <laughs> plays together, you know what I'm saying? But you know, I was a, I had enough respect for myself, for people in general. You know what I'm saying? That I was able to make that transition, and 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 be able to make conscious decisions that were that were conducive to my my moral, my personal moral systems, mm -hmm. instead of having to make decisions that you know go according to the rules of ethics of the prison of the gangs of you know yeah. all 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 the bullshit. You know what I mean? Well, I mean for me to answer your question, for me. Like I said, I always wanted to do more, be better. You know, mm -hmm. I was a father. I had, by the time I went in, the last time I had two two daughters. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as you're starting to get home, like you said, so for like 10 years, I, it was all about that savage life, like whatever, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. You got to make it home. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, you got to get home. Mm -hmm. Right? Yes, yes, for by sure. By hook or crook. So at about that point, I was I was more and more comfortable with myself because of all that introspect, right? All that time mm -hmm. to think and um, started reading some books. You know, for me, the Bible also kept me grounded, kept my humanity mm -hmm. to a certain degree. So I did like Bible studies because I didn't go to church. I didn't, mm -hmm. you know, uh, necessarily do that at the prison, um, but I did do Bible studies. So that helped me. But it was, so at the end of the day, it was education. Mm -hmm. self-taught right being in the law library for years i had wrote grievances and had fought the administration for you know you all the rights rep, wardens all form. the different things right like i was an activist mm -hmm. in prison and so i began yes. to find my voice i guess i took some paralegal classes my first bit and got exposed to that started working in the law library you know educating myself and, mm -hmm. and then helping other brothers you know, that were trying to find books and case law to get the hell out of here. And then not to even be able to comprehend what's in the books, mm -hmm. you know. I worked in a, in a, in a law library at, at Earth, and um, I, I was just a book distributor because as soon as I opened it up, bro, I could not translate into any of that. You know what I'm saying? So well, I needed old legal beagles. That's what we call them, legal <laughs> yeah, beagles. Legal beagles. <laughs> Jailhouse lawyers, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's some good ones in there, right? There's some mm -hmm. guys, um, you know, Ronald Simpson Bay, who's out here now, been doing a lot of advocacy work across okay. the nation. You know, he was on that Kane case uh, in relation to our property and stuff. So, okay. you know, yeah, folks like him that, that, that paved the way as far as litigation and, and learning how to, um, you know, advocate for ourselves. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so that we didn't always get done so wrong by the administration. Um, Absolutely, bro. And, and I and then I went to Cooper Street and, and this program was just starting this nonprofit was coming in you know with mediation skills and create mediators and i was like i had just got there i'm like what else am i doing right like yeah i no got doubt. nothing else going mm -hmm. um you know as you know they they tried to pick people from all different parts of of the prison so you know black people white people brown people you know christians non-christians mm -hmm. muslims you know we wanted mm -hmm. a big diverse crowd so there was a, a group of 25 men 
uh, assembled as the core group to begin this training. Okay. Which was a two-year training, and um, several months into it, I just I I kind of found my stride, right? Okay. I, I I started to excel in it, and you know having responsibility and being put into a leadership role mm -hmm. that fundamentally changed me because it felt good. Mm. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it yeah. felt right. Yes, no doubt about it, bro. I understand. So. I continued to do that, um, you know, eventually became the chairman of the organization for like four years. You know, we developed housing units for the program. You know, we really, uh, I just had a great, great group of guys around me like yourself, uh, about like Tom and Mario. Jessica, right? Yeah, Tom okay. and Jessica came in from Chance for Life. Mm -hmm. You know, um, folks that are probably out there watching tonight, like Black and you know, all them brothers that was in there with us in the trenches, Cam. Yeah. You know what I mean? Good uh, brothers, man. Good all, brothers. All them brothers, and, and they're all out here. I mean, I'm, I'm in communication as you are with so mm -hmm. many of them brothers that, that mm -hmm. were in there you know, helping change lives from the inside. Absolutely. For, for folks coming home. And um, so that fundamentally changed the way I viewed life. That changed mm -hmm. the paradigm mm -hmm. for me. So that was you that. Know, I, I, you know, I, you know. Another thing that helped during the transition is not wanting to be a hypocrite, bro. I started to really feel good about helping people because a lot of people were really coming to me for advice. You know what I'm saying? And I was like, damn, you know what, bro? You know, that's when I started making them transitions. Like they say, when you pick something up, you got to put something down. That's right. And I started, and it just felt good to do good and to help people. You know what I'm saying? And that's when I started doing the most work, bro. Because I said, I, I can't have no strings attached to darkness, bro. You know what I mean? Like, all I want to do, I just want to be a vessel of light, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, what we're going to do is we're going to try something new today. And uh, we got my brother, Travis Castillo, over here, joined us, you know, special guest, pulled up, popped up on us, wanted to see how he was doing. And I said, you know what, we're going to incorporate you, man. We're gonna, we want to hear your voice. We want to hear what you got to say, too. So, uh, big shout out to Carlos Valdez, man. Thank you. I appreciate you for all the love, the support, you know, in words and in deeds, man. Thank you. I appreciate everything that you do, you know, to empower people like me. And, and, and you know, much love to you, bro. Much gratitude. We salute you, man. So uh, today what we're going to talk about is, is a saying, it goes, in life, the path, uh, how'd it go? Let me see. The, no, path, the path of least resistance, resistance paves the way for the most harm. For the damage. most damage. Most paves damage. the most damage. Paves the most narrative. Okay. So the path of least resistance paves the way of the most damage. So when I was thinking about it, I was like, you know what? Started thinking about the 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 path of least resistance which is the easier way the easier path mm -hmm. you know tell me give me an example of what you how you incorporate that or how you interpret that so for me the path of least resistance would have been starting my painting company going to work every day you know putting money away starting to build a, a company and and that would have been the path of least resistance Instead, you know, I went to school, uh, started a nonprofit with Mario Bueno and Cameron Colts to help other men and women, but uh, initially youth, right? And that mm. created um, a lot of resistance. Like even my family wanting to work with folks uh, that were still in prison and young people were like, why? You just mm. did 15 years, why? Mm. You know, but they didn't understand the why is, um, 
when I was helping other people, I was helping myself. Absolutely. Right? So yes. even though there was resistance, even though it was difficult, even though it took my time, uh, it took my talent, it took time from my family, it took time from my business, from mm -hmm. my education. But doing that, starting that nonprofit, that's why I'm still here, right? But it oh, was, man. but it also, um, you know, it was the most challenging, but it was the most rewarding. Mm -hmm. right? Absolutely, definitely. And um, so when we talk about the path with the least resistant, like that's the easy way, you know, and most people prefer that because a lot of people hate to be put in a position where they're not comfortable. But people don't a lot of people fail to realize that in order to be able to grow, you have to be able to change. You have to be able to evolve. You have to be able to step out of your comfort zone. You might have to change your environment. You might have to change the way that you sit. You change your posture, the way you walk, the way you talk. You change the people that you talk to, change the songs that you listen to, you know, change the, the content that you watch on TV. Like everything is about a transition and all of it contributes to your growth and where you want to be in your life. You know what I'm saying? So. So, you know, to me, I always learned everything the hard way and um, and and that always worked against me until now, because now every I realize that all the challenges and all the obstacles that I went through, they all revealed strength and intelligence to me about me. You know what I mean? So I, I, I'm always up for the challenge now. I never try to cut corners. You know, back in the days, we we're always trying to look for a deal. We're always trying to, you know, get done things done quicker. We want a couple cut a couple corners out. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not saying that you shouldn't work smarter, not harder. But what I'm talking about is 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 that you kind of um, try to um, beat the laws of nature by by trying to find shortcuts and shortening yourself because you have to be able to embrace and trust the process of your journey and your life because there's a lot of things that you're going to need to learn and a lot of the little stuff you're going to be able to apply to every day and they make the biggest difference not only in your life but in the lives of others. You know what I mean? So, you know, whatever life got to throw at me, whatever challenges, whatever obstacles, like embrace that shit. You know what I'm saying? And push through it because everything that you need for the next chapter of your life, you're going to obtain in, in during that during that challenge. You know what I mean? That is when you have to uh, uh, get out of that mind state that you know everything. You know what I'm saying? And quit being a teacher and start being a student, you know? So what do you think about that, Trav? It's kind of like uh, the same thing. Like uh, I felt like that uh, the path the least resistance is like mm -hmm. the easy route, and then it says paves the most damage. Mm -hmm. And that sticks out to me because I took the easy route, just like we did, and it caused a lot of damage to myself. But not only that, it paved damage. Mm -hmm. Means that it affected the future. <laughs> coming up they mm. see me doing it wow. they want to do it mm -hmm. they yes. take that same route it does the same thing to them it hurts them mm -hmm. then it hurts the ones coming behind them and then it hurts their families so yeah. when i look when i think about it it actually sticks out to me i feel like that i feel like it's a place that i've been before yeah. and i totally understand it it's kind of interesting how we all have similar but different uh different ideas of what it means to us interpretations mm -hmm. but, uh, and not only that but how that scenario how that quote has applied to us in so many different ways mm -hmm. in our lives yeah 
Yeah. So, you know, I'm just I'm just grateful, bro, that, you know, that I am the man that I am today. And that, you know, if this is the end results of everything I had to I had to go through, then, you know, it was all well worth it. And I look forward to whatever life got got, you know, for for me, for us, you That's know. Fair. But uh, we're going to get back to my man, Rick Speck. You hey. feel me? Uh, <laughs> my man. And because, uh, man, you have been a busy man since you've been home. You said you've been home for seven years now. May will be seven. And, man, you have been a man of many hats, of many titles. Matter of fact, why don't you tell us about this picture a little bit? Like, we had oh, to crop we had to crop some people out, you know, oh. to, to fit him in there. But, well, you know. Uh, in this picture on the left of me was uh, Mayor Duggan. And on the right of me was city councilwoman at large, Janae Ayers, which is a really good friend of mine who okay. uh, started um, the Return Citizens Task Force some probably five years ago now, six, actually longer than that. So like six years ago, she started a Return Citizens Task Force. Mm -hmm. I became a part of it, found a voice there, um, you know, was able to bring other people to the table so that they could share, you know, uh, and in this particular picture, we were there talking about um, fair chance housing. Okay. You know, to take to take the felony off of housing applications. Yeah. So um, I was actually standing there in front of the mayor and, and Councilwoman Ayers uh, at a press conference at City Hall mm -hmm. up on the mayor's floor. Um, and at the time, I was employed by the ACLU of Michigan. Wow. Woohoo! That's dope, bro. Yeah, yeah. And you took me to the ACLU office. I felt important as hell. I felt like you. I was like, "Dang, what?" You know? Yeah. No, that was that was a great time in my life at the ACLU. They were um, they were really fantastic. Um, and what was so dope, man, is this brother. He got there and he reached his hand back, you know what I'm saying, to get others. You know, there's so many people who, you know, they make it. They do good for themselves, man. But it just becomes about their growth. You know what I mean? Like, my life becomes purposeful when I know that it's impactful to other people's lives. And, and you know, that was an experience that I'll never forget. I took the picture. I took pride in it. I took pride that, you know, that you were able to be in a position to be a voice for people like me to open up doors for people like me. You know what I mean? So thank you for that, bro. I love you for that, bro. No, I remember you know, you came who did, we met with um we met with some pretty high profile people that day we were talking with uh yeah. a judge we were talking with some um prosecutors mm -hmm. um you came to lansing with me yeah um, i remember we that. went and talked to senators yeah we, we uh, senator about, uh, chang yeah we yeah. spoke with senator chang we spoke with senator lacito um yeah. and there was, there was one other one remember he wanted to talk to us about uh, the bunky moves and stuff. Oh, yeah. Remember? He yeah. Was all, he was more of a stickler, you yeah. know what I'm saying? But, but he respected it, yeah. though. He, he was a Republican, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So um, working with people on both sides of the aisle, mm -hmm. um, you know, being being able to work uh, amongst a diverse community, mm -hmm. you know, often means you have to go a little bit of everywhere. Mm -hmm. And so he was uh, sizing us up, bro. Oh, and when he seen though that we were intelligent, we knew to articulate himself. I seen his ears perk up. <laughs> now he wanted to know what we had to say. He wanted to keep here and he wanted to work with us, you mm -hmm. know. No, and and I can't believe I can't think of his name because I've had you know a few meetings with him. Mm -hmm. Um and even in that one, you know, we were able to share our story and and kind of took him back a little to say, you know, this is why we're saying. Okay. Right. This is why we feel this way, because he was wondering why, you know, we were there talking a little bit about clean slate at the time, too. You know, we covered a lot of talking points. So, mm -hmm. you know, um, that was a great time. But honestly, getting in the position of that was like writing grievances, 
doing mm -hmm. these things on the inside, learning how to advocate for myself, and then taking a lot of those skills um, mm -hmm. to me to the streets. And so, even grant writing, did you learn how to write grants? I, I didn't. Okay. I, I didn't learn how to write grants, but mine was more just networking. You know, mm -hmm. being able to talk amongst a variety of people. You know, I yes. feel like at yes. times I can go into any room and hold my own. I'm not going to be the expert in the room, but I'm going to hold my own. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And we went through them classes together, bro. Mm -hmm. And I remember the first time event I had uh, uh, that was ran by Deputy Riley. And he was letting us do our thing, bro. And we had our first event. And we packed the gym with everybody. And I went up to that podium, dog. And I was like, oh, Lord, time out. I'm sweating and everything. <laughs> I called time out and everything. I had to take a breath. I'd step back. Hey, and I said, woo. You needed a washcloth. Yes. I was like, the pressure. You know what I'm saying? But once I stepped back to the uh, podium, man, I killed it after that. And then the more practice I got, the easier it got to run the classes and, you know, just taking advice from people like you and Mario and other people. You know what I mean? So it was all good, bro. And then just everything that I learned in there, how I'm applying it today to my life and thriving with it, bro. Right. No, yeah. I, I feel you. So when I came home, I started school. You know, Mario convinced me to go to school. Mm -hmm. You know, that wasn't the plan. I was going to paint and, you know, do my thing uh, with Chance for Life. That was my plan. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's always that. And again, that lesson of plan B and C. So when that didn't work out to be a part of that organization out here, Mm -hmm. uh, because they were still predominantly doing work on the inside, you know, we started our own platform, right? We, mm -hmm. we started Luck Inc., right? Leaders Under Correct Knowledge. And we mm -hmm. ran with that, right? We we knew that what we did on the inside was so impactful to us okay. that we needed to continue to do that out here. So we worked with youth. You know, we began to volunteer um, Detroit Public Schools. Um, mm -hmm. Mario later got a position um, as... Uh, what was he? Mario legislative so aide, right? Yeah. So he was a legislative aide to then state rep Harvey Santana. Okay. Um, and that opened a lot of doors. For that was Jose Rivera's people, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. He came, he into, came, the, up he to... came into the prison, right? So yes. we're networking with him in prison. And here it is. Now we're out networking with mm -hmm. him again, uh, mm -hmm. supporting his events. Even like brothers know. like Maximo Anguiano, mm -hmm. Miguel Reyes. Mm -hmm. Like these were brothers that connected with us on the inside. And They're still and with us <laughs> Attributing to our lives and our well-being today on the outside, Absolutely. bro. I've done, you know, a ton of projects with Reyes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to think that it all started back then mm -hmm. at a lasso event. Yes. Right, for Cinco, Cinco de Mayo. Right? And that yeah. shit's on YouTube. <laughs> you know, that shit's on YouTube from that the first time he came. Is it? It's oh, my YouTube. God. I got to look at Somehow it got out there where we're in the gym at Cooper Street. So if you YouTube it for real, you'll oh, I Cinco de Mayo Cooper Street abstract jazz was there remember check was, it out yeah. oh yeah she did her, thing, did her yeah. thing yeah, even that, miguel reyes you know oh. he was one of them uh boy he had the way with words man i was like man he's cold man maximo man he moved a lot of mountains for us bro Absolutely. you know what i'm saying bro, and then he, and then deputy riley deputy riley he did. made those connections with reyes mm -hmm. right and mm -hmm. and and we're yes, still working with them to this day and if not for Maximo, then we wouldn't mm -hmm. have met Reyes and yep. right and yep. Liz. Uh, yep. And what was the old boy uh, that, that did the performance? He ended up moving to Texas too, man. Oh, uh, um, the the Tejano singer. Yeah, um, remember he gave us all the CDs uh, and all Ricky, that. Ricky Val Ricky Val uh, Valance, Valance, yeah. right? Ricky right? Balance, yeah. Man, we did a we had a, a real concert performance in prison, bro. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and the YouTube one 
that's where the one where Ricky Valance is there. That shit is on YouTube. Damn, like, that's crazy. You're man. in it. Uh, you you see a bunch of like I watch Jose's it in it. Yeah, you, you see a bunch of people in the crowd. I'd be like, I can't believe that shit. Like, it's dope. <laughs> that's funny, man. And and just think that we started with nothing, man. Nothing. You know, and that impactful we were. Two hundred dollar budget for the year. Right. <laughs> yeah. That, 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 was yep. what we, that was what we yep. were working with. Remember, we he made us a banner. We got our own banner, yeah. man. That was so cool, bro. Yeah. No, and, look, and, Riley, and look what we do now. Man, Deputy Riley, I salute you, man. For sure. And he gave us a second chance, yeah. bro. You know he what I mean? He treated us like human beings. See, that was the difference with him when we communicated with him. He treated us like human beings. He didn't care yeah. what was going on. He didn't want you to, he wasn't trying to like develop you to, to learn what was going on. He wanted to give you skills. He was a mediator, mm -hmm. right? He was yeah. a trained mediator that worked in schools. He wanted the prison, the school to prison pipeline to end, mm -hmm. and he knew that men in prison were the solution to that. Yes. That when we got out, the influence that we had, if we could share that with youth, that we would be the ones to stop mm -hmm. this school to prison pipeline. Yeah. It wasn't going to be, you know, some great program or theory. It was. It was going to be, you know, men and women that had been there. Be ye transformed by, by the renewing, renewing of your mind. mind. What? That was my boy. I get it tattooed on me now. I'm going to tell you that that's what carried you through, right? Like that, that was something to believe in. Um, mm. And so for me, you know, once we started to work with, with kids, now you fast forward a couple of years during this time, you know, I'm doing painting jobs through family, friends, um, had pitched at Detroit Soup. Um, mm. We won. We got invited to another event and we pitched there. We met this guy um, who, you know, owns a bunch of different commercial properties. And, um, you know, in the last week, mm -hmm. just from that connection from years ago, you know, I've sold three paint jobs at three different restaurants, right? Like, he yes. visited me at him this week because I got a guy over here. I got guys over at this paint job, right? Like, And, and we, in one of the most thriving and developing, uh, Cork Town, Cork Town right now, the most thriving and developing, and you are at all the hot spots, painting, doing the work, you know what I'm saying? Like, bro, and, and you know what the base of that is, is something that we learned the definition of is the concept of integrity, mm -hmm. the value and principle of integrity, you know what I'm saying? And I think that when you practice integrity in every aspect of your life, man, that is when your life will be fulfilled with not only what you need, but what you want as well, you yeah. know? No, so, I mean, my painting company, I started it. I named it Six Pillars Painting mm -hmm. behind the Six Pillars of Character, which was, right, curriculum yes. that you and I both taught on the inside. But mm -hmm. you're right. Um, I wanted my painting company to be more than just a painting company, mm -hmm. right? Um, so far, I've pretty much only employed people coming home from prison, people wow. just like me. Mm -hmm. You know, that's who I hire. That's who I look to recruit. Um, mm -hmm. you know, because I know what it's done for me. Uh, I know that having a skill, I'm, I'm, I'm always able to earn money. I've always been able to take care of myself and my family because I got this painting skill, mm -hmm. right? I got a trade under my belt. So that mm -hmm. helped carry me through getting an education through helping to develop, you know, this nonprofit. Um, and then eventually, you know, through doing work in the community, I was home, um, I think it was four years mm -hmm. before I got my first real job. Right. Okay. And, and that's when I got hired by the ACLU to be an organizer behind the Smart Justice campaign, which. Can you explain what the ACLU stands for and what kind of work okay. you actually So do? the American Civil Liberties Union, um, it was actually founded 100 years ago. So 100 wow. years, 100, coming up on 101 years this year. Wow. And um, they're there. They fight for 
everybody's constitutional rights. Okay. Right? So they're basically a giant nonprofit law firm that doesn't charge people, but only <laughs> takes cases that affect the masses. Okay. All right. right. So if your case is just affecting you, then chances are they're not going to represent you. Mm -hmm. But if whatever your issue is affects everybody, you know, or a large group of people, then, then they're they'll, gonna be on a they'll, front line they'll, they'll represent you at no cost. Wow. Right? If your constitutional uh, rights are being violated, mm -hmm. then they're there for you. Um, and so doing this work, you know, I, I, I got this job and it was like, the coolest mm -hmm. thing, I'm traveling all over the country, mm -hmm. um, being trained in, in how to be an organizer. Mm -hmm. um, then I began to do some trainings for them because I had a training skill from prison, right, yeah. where, where we trained. And so I learned the material so well that then they invited me uh, to be a trainer at some of these events. So um, that was just life-changing, uh, just to be able to network. And so now I have folks that are formerly incarcerated, you know, just like us, all over the country. Mm -hmm. doing work to help people just like us right yeah um, and so that was that was really an amazing uh, absolutely time. and i'm sure you met a lot of good people through the oh, ACLU. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and and still you know still work i did a presentation uh yesterday for the naacp out of saginaw with rod motts from the aclu of michigan okay. you know who called me up and said hey i'm doing this presentation but i'd like you to join me and i want mm -hmm. you to talk about clean slate and how important it is mm -hmm. and i was like cool right like yeah mm -hmm. sunday afternoon let's let's do that yeah and so these opportunities come um from like you said having integrity being about that work mm -hmm. you know um, and being experienced bro because you know a lot of these people like i've been brought to, to the table through brothers like you brothers like mario bueno uh the dhdc who have brought me to the table with mm -hmm. many different foundations organizations and listen bro it is just an absolutely blessing to be able to be there and network with these people. So when you took me to the ACLU office, there was an older woman there. She just dressed pretty jazzy. You know, she uh, Miss something was her name. I forget what they call her. Um, man, she was an older woman. You know what I'm saying? I believe. Um, and she donated. She contacted me because I told her that I work with returning citizens and in the community, how we help with donations of clothes and food and whatever we can. Man, she pulled up like a week later, called me. It's like, hey, I got a whole truck full of clothes and food and everything. And I was like, man, you know, that's somebody that I met that heard my story, wanted to contribute it, you know, to my to my mission. You know what I'm saying? And all that came from, you know, you making that connection with us, man. So no, they're, they're, the ACLU um, is one of the best organizations, mm -hmm. you know, that I found. Um, and recently I won a painting contract, right? So I'm getting ready to go paint those offices. Wow, so, for real? You know, even though I had I left there, I was there under a, uh, under a two-year grant money um, behind, you know, the Smart Justice campaign. So when the grant ends, the position... Th then, then potentially my position could have ended. Mm -hmm. um, and this opportunity at Safe and Just Michigan had presented itself where they were hiring for a community engagement specialist. And I had been in contact, so Safe and Just used to be CAPS. Citizens mm -hmm. Alliance for Policy and Prison Spending, mm -hmm. which really, you know, helped and advocated for us while we were in. And so um, I was connected with them for years on the inside. And when I got home, I began to connect with Laura Sager, um, who at the time was the executive director. And, you know, in partnership with Locke and, and, you know, she really helped bring us along, gave us 
um, tickets to like uh, the annual dinner every year at Safe and Just. Mm-hmm. And I would always try and me and you and a couple other guys went to one. You remember down in Lansing, we went to that dinner up on the second yes, floor? Yes, yeah. So that was, that was that a was big deal. I just felt special as hell right? when I was there. I was like, damn. But what, I mean, did it feel good to be at an event like that? And, and you're getting, you know, um, you're reacclimating back to society. Mm-hmm. And, and social events are important because Look how we interacted socially in prison. The dynamics there aren't mm-hmm. the same as out here. Yeah. So people may not hold a high value on that, but again, it's networking. Mm-hmm. It's getting to know yep. people. It's you know meet, meeting folks. And um, so I always had this connection with Safe and Just. Mm-hmm. You know, I had uh, I just respected the hell out of all the work they did. And so when this position became available, you know, um, I shot my shot. You know, I, I applied and uh, I was fortunate to be hired and mm-hmm. so march 16th i celebrated my one-year anniversary there okay uh, yeah that's safe and just that's dope I, man know. it seemed like you just made that move too man I know, and, it, and now it's a year right is, is, is aaron kinzel is he in that program no he's or? he's the uh ed of uh youth justice fund right okay the, okay youth justice yeah, fund and, okay and he's also a professor at uh u of m here. yes i'm, a, I, I'm gonna be Brother booking a date with him he'll be on here too you can yeah. he's in paris right now visiting he's in his france daughter yep. for, yeah for, he's for in france days. yep he told me he sent me a bunch of pictures from france of yeah. their graffiti and stuff it's really dope man yeah no that's what's up man he's a great dude yeah how you feeling boy man, i'm feeling good just listening to you guys man being around you got on the absorb and everything like a sponge you know man that's really important man is 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 um you know the people that you keep around you the conversations that you have you know what i'm saying to motivate you different right? you want <laughs> yes, to do sir. different yeah. things you've been doing good you and your cousin yeah. you know started up your own business yeah. you guys are doing what drywall all carpentry yeah, work you know what i'm saying yeah. maybe you got the subcontracts oh, yeah, absolutely you yeah. know with yeah, them yeah, there's something you yeah. ever need help no i get drywall opportunities i do small repairs and stuff because yeah. i paint but i don't really do you yeah. know large <clears throat> excuse me large drywall jobs so i'd love yeah, to give a paint, drywall i mean he's the he's a professional he that kid there he's just man he's just so talented in so many different mm-hmm. trades and then he's all like you know what i want to go to school while i'm at it he's going to school he's getting all his grades are like uh 90 90 percent of everything wow. that he does yeah so I, I know because he always posts his scores yeah. on facebook yeah. every time he's he get a smart, 92 he's smart, or, man and he's good at his work he's mm-hmm. he's all he's taught me everything i know as far as that trade goes and you've been able to come home and kind of motivate him yeah huh, motivate to get into that him you know, you sometimes know. you take the right person to come and just motivate you yeah. encourage you push you like let's go let's get it let's make it happen the skills the brain mm-hmm and then as you're going through the process, man, you're developing more skills, mm-hmm. you know, things that you didn't even realize that you possess, you know, yeah. and you just adding to yourself, adding value to yourself. You know, you got to take, you got, you got to be able to take risks in business too. Like, you know, there was a big commercial floor job and I don't do flooring, but you know, I have friends that are contractors. So I made a call. I was bidding the paint. They wanted the, the paint and the floor done at Sur mm-hmm. Metro. Right. Oh, oh, yeah, I remember there, I came, right? I stopped I, I by to see you, yeah. Um, so I bid it out, and I'm I'm the painter bidding the paint in the floor, and they're getting other bids. Well, the floor guy got the paint because he went cheaper because he's not a painter. Mm-hmm. And the painter got the floor because I went cheaper <laughs> because I'm not a floor guy, right? So I, I, I'm getting it, I'm That's bidding funny. it because I, I want the paint. Mm-hmm. So um, long story short, this is how how you you turn you know lemonade from from lemons. Mm. So I'm thinking, what am I going to do? Like I'm going to make three four grand 
middle in this job. I'm going to sub it out to somebody, make a few grand, and, and that's it. Mm -hmm. Right? Where I would have made several thousand off of the paint. And um, so I, I sub it out, but the guy can't start in time. Right? They want us to start on a certain day. So <laughs> I picked these few small offices and I said, well, we can do these. Mm -hmm. You know, even if we screw it up, it won't be that bad. Yeah. It went so easy and was so fast, I called the guy back and said, I, I don't need you. Forget it. Well, right? We're going to do this. And so, again, I taught myself. I took a risk. Um, Did they YouTube added help you? Oh, oh, I watched so much YouTube. <laughs> no, for real. I watched yeah, so I'm much serious. YouTube. But, you know, if you got some mechanical skills and you, and you yeah. know how to do things, right. then, then, you know, something simple like that shouldn't scare you too much. Mm -hmm. Right? So, um, at the end of the day, the final bill for that job was like $58,000. Wow. 58 grand. Blew the paint out of the water. Made more money. Like, I could have painted that building twice. Wow. With the money I made from the floor. Wow. Right? But it was it was taking that risk. It was not only being confident in myself, but being confident in my team. Yes. You know, absolutely. the guys around me. Um, You know, anything I've been able to do, first, it's been God. Right? And second, it's been the people around me. Mm -hmm. You know, um. I wouldn't be anywhere without people like you, without people like Mario, Cam, Maximo, mm -hmm. uh, Reyes, all these different folks, the depth, um, mm -hmm. you know, all these people that poured into me. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what helped kind of shape and mold me was allowing folks to pour into me and know that I don't know everything. Yes. Right? Yeah, no and, doubt. Um, but seeing so much potential mm -hmm. in you, you know, that you inspired others to, to see, you know, because people see things sometimes that you don't see in yourself you yeah. know what i mean and you're going to be around people who are going to bring out the best in you the same way you can be around people who can bring out the worst in you yeah. you know yeah. so it's good to surround yourself with productive people who and, are and, and progressive you favor you know what i mean because uh, favor ain't yeah, fair baby no favor ain't fair and i ain't apologizing mm -hmm. for it right mm -hmm. if you have favor because you living right you doing right you know before I got those three restaurants, I, I didn't have much work lined up because of, of COVID. I've been getting, you know, smaller jobs here and there. Mm -hmm. and, and then all of a sudden, you know, I remember thinking, like, I really need to, to pump this up, right? Like, I have a real opportunity to get some people to work this summer. I, I need to start thinking about, and it just dropped, right? Mm -hmm. This restaurant, this and every bid I gave, it was like I couldn't lose, mm -hmm. right? I went and looked yeah. at a house today in Gross Point. I mean, it's like an $8,000 exterior. You know, that that was like somebody off of Facebook threw my number out there. That's crazy. Right? Said Six Pillars painting some... Mm -hmm. Now, if I did it, it's AGs. You know, I mean, I'll probably make a couple of those, mm -hmm. you know, in my pocket. Like, yeah, I'll take a couple sure. of them home. So, you know, again, favor. What do you think about the name Six Pillars? Even if a person don't really fully comprehend it. I know. Yes. And other people like you and other people that went through our classes... Mm -hmm. They know. Six they know what Six Pillars of, is, right? Yeah. Six Pillars of Character. Mm -hmm. If you but, if you Google Six Pillars, one of the first things that's going to pop up is Six Pillars of Character, mm -hmm, right? Sure. And, and yeah. you know, that's trustworthiness, responsibility, respect, fairing, careness, and citizenship. Woo, that boy that is, is good. Pillars, right? I mean, citizenship, baby. That's what it meant to me in there. It made this impact on me, change. You know, I understood what character was. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, the kind of How character I wanted to have. Yeah. What it and, and for me, my motivation was always just to be a good dad. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, I wanted my children to be able to be proud of me, mm -hmm. not be embarrassed of all the mistakes I made, yes. the poor choices yes. I made, 
Um, and as you said, you know, the damage, the damage my decisions caused my children, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like I wanted to come home and begin to right those wrongs. You know, yeah, I'll never be able sure. to make up for it, but we can build from this point forward. From this point on, right? yes, and, sure. and um that was that was probably the biggest, you know, challenge mm -hmm. um, to coming home was building a rapport, uh, A, with my family, or meaning my children, mm -hmm. my siblings, and B, um, my community. Mm -hmm. How yes, I wanted absolutely. to engage my community. Yes. In a meaningful way. So um, volunteering to work campaign elections, going out there and knocking doors for folk, like, mm -hmm. you know, uh, for the mayor, for Rico Razzo, for Janae, like doing these what things. What do they call it? Um, what do they canvassing. call it? Canvassing. Yeah, canvassing. Right? Yeah. So, and, and so those skills, though, that I volunteered, those skills later helped me get that job at the ACLU. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, I went from hustling to a 50 some thousand dollar a year salary position full benefits mm -hmm. and for somebody that never had you know a legit job or paid taxes like that was huge right? definitely like that was for huge. sure for sure it is bro i mean because i've had a lot of uh first times you know what i mean mm -hmm. for me voting for the first time i did poll watching i assisted in that i i uh i was at clark park posted up and getting people um registered to vote mm -hmm. you know as i'm helping others i'm learning myself you're doing food drives i've seen you give yep. away cosmetics foods clothes yeah. like yeah how yep. you engage sure. your community mm -hmm. not just yep. being in it you no. engage it yeah and I mean, you know, whatever I can get done through my job, I reach in my own pockets. I, I take out of my own closets, you know what I'm saying? Because I just don't believe that blessings are solely for me. I believe all my blessings are for me to distribute. You know, like I said, I always ask God for more because the more I have, the more that I have to give. Whether it's knowledge, whether it's money, whether it's clothes, whether it's time, whether it's advice, whether it's a hug or it's just some love, you know what I mean? Like, that's just who I've grown into and I love who I am, bro. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because we had to tr transition ourselves into being inhumane, to being ugly, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? For, for for a certain amount of time to be in our soft lives. and caring right like that that wasn't a place for it and no you know no. for me uh i'd be remiss if you know probably one of the strongest influences since i've been home also uh has been my wife mm -hmm. you know um i met my wife after i was only home about six months you know uh, we got engaged right away we got married um less than 30 days after i got off parole Wow. Um, so we've been together, you know, coming up on seven years as well, you know, just mm -hmm. after, after I come home and, you know, it was, um, the type of woman, you know, I remember yeah. having a relationship and it just went so sideways, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. It went so bad, so fast. And I remember mm -hmm. thinking to myself, this is what this is going to be like, like, mm -hmm. you know, just coming home, like, you know, I'm 44 years old. I'm starting to date. Like, this is what it is. Like, yeah. you got crazy people going through your phone and stuff. Like, no. Does it get discouraging? Right? Did and, it get, did it, it get well, discouraging it was, for so you? I had a conversation with God. It got so discouraging, right? Where yes. I was like, I, I can't do this, right? Like you said, when I was in the joint, I didn't write women. I, I did my bit. I wrote my girls, mm -hmm. you know, my, my family. Um, and I'm thinking, wow, this is like, that part of it wasn't fun. It was traumatizing. And so I remember saying to, to God, like having this conversation, the kind of woman I wanted, the kind of woman I thought I needed in order to get where I wanted to go mm -hmm. in life, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I remember 
dating my wife for 30 days and having this epiphany just one night. And I was like, she's it. Damn, this is, this wow. is the one yeah. that checks all the boxes for this conversation I had with God. Mm -hmm. right? Yes, for and sure. And so I immediately got up. I had no ring. This was not planned. I walked right around the other side. I got down on my knee and I asked her to marry me. You know? and she's <laughs> wow. Like, wow. Oh, dude, like, you know, she said yes, but what if um, you said no? You'd be, oh, oh, oh. I mean, I you wasn't the emoji it, face. I mean, it 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 hit me and became so clear, yeah, so fast. I didn't even think of what if. Yeah, I just was like, this is what I got to do right now. For sure, right? Like, yeah. and and um, so you know, we've been married. Uh, we have a blended family. You know, mm -hmm. um, you know, which has prevented presented a lot of challenges yeah but um has really helped me grow mm -hmm. you know it, it's provided a lot of opportunity um to be a role model in in their lives as well and for them to add to my life so that's so dope, um, bro. you know my marriage has been key in keeping me grounded because you know my wife is a god-fearing woman mm -hmm. you know what i mean um i'm, I'm she's looking not a, a big party so it was like this was the woman I needed. That's cool. Bro. You know what I That's mean? So cool. I was blessed. God, God gave me I'm, just I'm, what I needed. I'm, I just had to ask. I'm looking forward, bro, to getting married Absolutely. July 17th. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's good, yeah. bro. Listen, everybody. Rick Speck on deck. You hear me? And it got me upset. This has been an episode of Real Everyday People, part of the El Nino Podcast. Check out the El Nino Podcast live on Facebook every Monday night at 9 p.m. Eastern. And for full episodes, the El Nino Podcast is available on Facebook and YouTube.